Thank you for coming back this week to hear me once again. I don't have to give a warning. Well, maybe I do have to give a warning this time too, but I'm going to just go ahead on and hit you by surprise. The title of today's message is Standing Up and Taking the Heat. Standing Up and Taking the Heat. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness in so many ways. We thank you for your presence with us this morning through music, through prayer, through song. We thank you that you're going to speak to our hearts, oh God, open our hearts and open our minds, move us from where we are to being closer to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin with a question. How many of you have ever had the experience of a person just not liking you? You can't think of anything they did. You can't remember anything they said. You can't remember anything you could have could have happened. They just don't like you. I, I used to go jogging over in Forest Hills Park early in the morning, and every time I would get there, this lady she would get there about the same time, and she would be walking her dog. And every time I would pass them on the track. That dog would just go crazy. <laughs> Finally, one day, the lady said, I'm sorry he acts like this, but for some reason, he just don't like you. <laughs> Here it is, ten years later, and I'm still trying to figure out why it was that dog didn't like me. We all want to be liked. But that can become an Achilles heel for us as believers in Christ. You know the story of Achilles? His mother dipped him into this river that was supposed to have magical powers. And when she dipped him in and brought him out, she was holding him by the heel. So when he came out, the only place you could possibly hurt him was through his heel. So as long as nobody knew about it, he was safe from arrows and swords and all that other kind of stuff. But if you hit him in the heel, it was another story. The desire to be liked can be our Achilles heel as Christians. Who was it that said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus. What is Jesus trying to tell us? What do you think he means by the word? If you want to be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, not everyone is going to like you. And as a matter of fact, some people are going to hate you. And Jesus says the reason they are going to hate you is because I have called you to come out of the world. Are we willing to come when Jesus calls? How many of you realize that the Bible tells us to renew our minds? It is because something is always seeking control of our minds. 
Because if it can get our minds to think a certain way, it's not long before it slips into our hearts and we move a little bit away from Jesus without recognizing that's what we're doing. Let me ask you another question. How many of you know there are some other believers where you work? Okay. How many of you know there are some other believers where you go to school? Where you shop? Where you go get your hair done? How many of you know there are millions of other believers in other churches in this country? I'm not talking about crazy way out folks. I'm just talking about people that love Jesus Christ who are great people. Let me ask you this. The TV programs you watch, how many programs have leading characters in roles who are Christians? And by that I mean the person is a Christian because they actually talk about, I gotta go to church. Or they actually say something like, no, I can't do that because of my faith in God. <laughs> okay, there are millions of us. Who decided that followers of Jesus Christ have no place in society on TV? Who decided that? What is their agenda? I have to confess, I was looking forward to the series on the black church. I started watching that thing and I became very disillusioned very quickly. The black church they were talking about was not the black church I grew up in. The black church I grew up in was founded upon Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That program actually said the black church was really built upon women and gays. One of the highlights of my life. 
day our daughter Samantha was born. I could hold Samantha in my arm just like this. And I still remember doing that. And I remember she was wrapped in this pink and blue blanket. And I was talking to her and I pledged to her that day that I was going to be there for her and her mother for the rest of my life. She had no idea of what I was saying, but I can remember those tiny little dark eyes looking back at me. I'm a morning person. Pastor Toby is an evening person. So for the next 18 years, I was the one that got my daughter up. I was the one that fixed her breakfast. I was the one that took her to school from grades K through 12, unless something happened. I was there for nearly every game in which she was a cheerleader at Shaw High. I was there for every piano recital. And whenever she needed her father, I tried my best to be there. I invested myself in my daughter and I believe it made a difference in her life. She is close to 40 today and I still love to hear her call me dad. Somehow, she, she throws in a couple of extra A's. Dad. And she knows if she does it long enough, that girl can get whatever she wants out of me. Her mother and I gave her the best we had to offer as we did the rest of our kids that came after us. I want you to look at this quote. Jasmine, give me that first announcement. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. This is a quote from the Black Lives website. Put it back up there, Jasmine. Mothers, parents, and children. Where am I? No, you said mothers. Where am I? How many of you who had 
say, don't say another word. I'm going to take care of this when I get home. Today, if a teacher tells a parent, your child cursed me out, the parent wants to know, well, what did you say to make them do that? And you're talking about we're going to have a village raising us? You know something? I was 30-something years old before I got to really know my father. And do you know, I was so glad I did. Because fathers are important. They are important in our lives. We need to have every black family intact that we possibly can. I'm looking at the totality of what's affecting the black community. Here's what Black Lives Matter say they are interested in when it comes to violence. This is from their literature that they point out. Jasmine, give me the other one. This is one of their people explaining what the organization was about. It started out as a chapter-based, member-led organization whose mission was to build local power and to intervene when violence was inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. In other words, that last part, by the state and vigilantes. In other words, if you aren't killed by the police, or the KKK. We ain't got time for that. Your life doesn't matter just as much. I believe Black Lives Matter should mean all Black Lives Matter. And the media uses us Blacks for its own purposes. to the next topic. Jasmine, give me that picture. How many of you know this guy? Anybody? This is Vincent Belmont, an 18-year-old. I'm told by I read his father said he was reading by the time he was three. And he was taking some high school classes in the fourth grade. Why don't we know him? You can take him off, Jasmine. Let me tell you this. He was shot and killed by the police less than 20 minutes from our church. He was shot in the back of the neck, the shoulder, and the head. He was running from the police. The police were chasing him because they thought he was in a stolen car. Now I'm one that's usually willing to
give the police the benefit of the doubt. But when you shoot a person over a stolen car that they have already abandoned so you can get the car, why on earth would you do that? Shouldn't Vincent's life matter? You know when this happened? This happened in January. Where was the national press? CNN, ABC, New York Times. Why didn't we have a Ferguson moment? Is it because it happened in January of this year after the election was over? Is it because the policeman that shot him was black? Is it because it happened in that poor black community of East Cleveland? So we accept it as normal? Of course, the police shot somebody in East Cleveland. You know they was doing something. How can we know more about what happened in states, five states over from us, and not know what happened down the street from us? It ain't hard to get to where he was shot. You just go out Euclid Avenue. And they got a nerve to ask us, where was the church with Black Lives Matter? I want to tell you something. Church has a history of saving Black Lives Matter. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Every time we give out groceries, we are saying Black Lives Matter. Every time we cook and volunteer to serve a meal, we're saying Black Lives Matter. Every time you guys donate for Christmas, for toys for kids, both in our church and our community, you're saying Black Lives Matter. Every time our health team does a health clinic or a life screening here at the church, we're saying Black Lives Matter. Every time we send kids to camp, hold events for kids, make our building free for those who have lost their loved ones to violence, we're saying Black Lives Matter. Every voter drive, voter sign up we've had at this church, every one of you driven down people to the polls, you're saying Black Lives Matter. And see, the church doesn't simply exist inside our building. We send our people out to make a difference. You see, you see the church in operation, but we don't go around with a big badge saying, here we are, we are the church. But I tell you, when you see the school principals that have come out of this church, like Camille Williams and Valerie Flowers, you know black lives matter. When you see retired teachers like Helena Harrison, Vivian Smith, and 90-some-year-old, soon to turn 100, Evelyn Davis, coming down here to volunteer their time with kids. All the parents got to do is have them show up. We're saying Black Lives Matter. Go upstairs and see Sunday after Sunday how Susan Calloway loves those kids in our nursery and how she comes up with craft projects for them to do. She's saying Black Lives Matter, even little ones. 
are saying black lives matter. They matter because all lives matter to God. And we are going to be faithful to doing things to improve people's lives, whether the press is here to cover it or not. And I mean, you know, we are not just here for black people. We're here for all people. When we give away food on Sundays, over a third of the people that come here are not black. They're Asian Americans. Being here for all people doesn't mean we are going to compromise our moral convictions when it comes to the Word of God. In our Old Testament reading, <coughs> we again see the prophet Jeremiah getting himself into trouble because he dared to say, this is what the Lord says. He told the truth, and because of censorship, he ended up in the bottom of a murky pit and was basically left down there to die. The people in power during his day didn't want people to hear both sides of the story. You see, the power structure was saying to the people, the army is going to protect us, and in the end, we are going to win this war over the Babylonians. I'm Babylonian army outside the city. Jeremiah was saying, look, the only hope you got of saving your life is for you to voluntarily go over and surrender to the Babylonians because this city and everybody left in it will be destroyed. Now why did the power structure want to censor Jeremiah's word from the Lord? Why did they hate him for telling the truth? You see, they wanted to control what the people had access to so that they could control the people. Censorship is becoming a real problem right now in our country as we seek to control people's minds. You know what? There are people who are in the church who leave the church and they go be part of the gay lifestyle. And they write a book about the joy they found. And they can put that book on Amazon. And I fully support them putting that book on Amazon. But there are also people who leave, leave the gay lifestyle and come to Jesus and say what joy they found. Amazon will not allow them to sell their book. Does that seem fair? We have never had an honest discussion on the transgender movement as a nation. Why didn't we have the discussion? Because the people who said, here's the transgender movement, and anybody that disagrees with us is a transphobic bigot. How many of you are transphobic bigots? So we just kept our mouth shut. There were two books 
who have recently written on the long-term consequences of doing surgery on our kids who think they want to be the other sex. One book is by Abigail Schreier. It's called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And the other one was written by Dr. Ryan Andrews, entitled, When Harry Becomes Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. Both of these books became instant bestsellers. Neither book contains anything hateful about anybody. Neither book is putting things down. The books are saying, here is what we need to consider. Both books are now banned from Amazon and other big tech media. Why are they banned? Amazon says they contain controversial information. Okay, so anybody that want to write a book in favor of the transgender movement can sell it on Amazon. How, how did they get around having some controversial information in their book? What is the most powerful book that speaks against anything goes sexual? Which one? The Bible. What makes us think that at some point Amazon won't decide this is a hate-filled We recently had Congress pass the Human Equality Act. One thing you need to know about bills from Congress, from any legislature, is the title they give to the bill may not have anything to do with us actually in the bill. Okay, they say the only purpose of this bill is to make sure nobody is discriminated against. And they particularly said transgenders and the LGBTQ movement. Alright? And they said, we're going to amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act to do this. How many of you know the world we live in today is not the world that it was in 1964? How many of you know we've got options available to us that we don't, didn't have back in 1964? There was a baker who had been serving homosexuals in his bakery shop constantly, was even friends with them. Two of them decided to get married and they said, we want you to bake a specific cake for our wedding. His point was, I can't do that in good conscience. You can have anything else in this store, but I don't want to bake a cake for that purpose. He got fined, I don't forget it, was thousands and thousands of dollars. The case made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled 
The government cannot force someone to act against their sincerely held religious beliefs. So we've got this case over here. Over here, there's another case that comes up. This guy is working at a funeral home and he declares himself transgender. And the funeral home says, no, you cannot wear a dress to work. Case made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, you cannot fire that person for being transsexual. There's no religious issue involved here. Funeral home wasn't saying this is our policy because we believe we are Christians. Funeral home said, no, we just don't like it. Okay. Do you see a compromise here? If you've got a sincerely held belief, you can't be forced to do something. If you just don't like what they're doing, you can't discriminate because of that. Human Equality Act comes along and says, we get rid of both of these Supreme Court cases. And that's what the intent was, to get rid of these cases to say, there is no middle ground. Sexual rights will always override religious freedom. And they keep telling you, no, it won't. No, it won't. Just read the bill. I believe it's wrong to discriminate against people. I believe people can have religious convictions that we ought not to trample on. There's a Muslim mosque down the street. If I go down to that Muslim mosque, do I have a right to complain, y'all don't talk about Jesus enough? And y'all don't say that Jesus is the Son of God. What would you say to me? Pastor Rick, you should have went to true holiness. Okay? Let me show you how I would see this kind of situation working out in our church. Okay, so you've got gays who say, Pastor Rick, we want to get married in your church. I'm going to say, our church has a position on marriage. And our position on marriage is marriage is between a man and a woman. No, you cannot have your service in our church. But if that same couple said, Pastor Rick, we want to rent your fellowship hall for our reception. Does our church have a policy on fellowship hall reception? No. Does the Bible have a policy on fellowship hall receptions? No. Is there, should there be a religious conviction on that? 
promised us when he became president. He said, I'm going to be president for all Americans. Why can't we just sit down and reach some compromises so we don't have to keep having these religious gay battles? There's enough room in America for all of us to live and all of us to be happy. That human rights equality says to Christian organizations, you cannot have sexual standards for your organization. If you do, somebody can sue you for it. Does that really sound like human equality? You know, what, what are you going to do with the cultural wars around us? At some point, it's going to hit us. Is your position going to be with the culture? Yes, shut down anybody that disagrees with me. Do you really want some unknown group of people deciding for you what is fact and what is not? Somebody has already decided that the Bible is a hate-filled, bigoted book and racist. Somebody has already decided that we as believers should not have a part in society on TV. Somebody has already decided our opinion shouldn't be heard. Somebody wants to decide what information we can and cannot see. Are you willing to be thrown into a pit for what, saying what you think God wants you to say? You know, with the civil rights movement, as we tell the story, can we tell the whole story? And by that I mean, can we acknowledge there were a whole lot of white people that helped us in the civil rights movement? Stop! 
out there who want to tell your little white kids that Jesus said it's okay to be white and y'all got some stuff to be proud of too. I'm saying it for you because I know if you say it, they're going to write all kind of bad letters. Well, the good news is Pastor Kelly preaches next week. Jeremiah was in that position of having to be thrown in a pit for saying what he believed God wanted him to say. Half of his body was sinking in the mud. Didn't seem like anybody was going to speak up for him. Even the king had told the power structure, ain't nothing I can do like that. Can't stand up against y'all. Go ahead. Whatever y'all want to do, do it. He wasn't willing to take the heat to stand up for justice. But how many of you know God always has a plan? Somebody who is willing to risk everything. Willing to stand up for what is right. King Zedekiah was too afraid to stand up to the big tech censors of his day and of the cancel culture that wanted to shut down the voice of God. But there was a man in his cabinet who had more backbone than the king. The man's name was Ebed Melech. How many of y'all ever heard of Ebed Melech? Okay, we need to read the book of Jeremiah. Read Black History, we need to read that part too. You see, every now and then, people will run into, well, Christianity is the white man's religion. Yet the hero that comes to Jeremiah's aid when he's in that position, in that pit, is an Ethiopian, which means he is a black man from Africa. Now I want you to notice he wasn't a slave, he wasn't a servant, he is sitting on the king's court, which means he held a high level cabinet position. But what's more impressive is that he had a relationship to the living God. And even though he was sitting in the palace and he could have kept his mouth shut and just let everything go the way it was going, he decided to take a risk. He goes to the king and he says to the king, King, what these people have done to Jeremiah is wicked and not right. They have given him a death sentence by throwing him into that cistern. He's going to starve down there. To, he's going to starve to death down there. You know, sometimes God wants you to be the conscience for someone else. And you can't be the conscience if you're not willing to say, thus saith the Lord. You see, the king had wanted to pretend Jeremiah wasn't in that pit, even though he knew he was. But Ebed Melech was like the ringing voice of God saying, stop this injustice. And because Ebed Melech spoke up, the king got enough courage to tell him, go take 30 men and go rescue Jeremiah out of that pit. Now even though the king didn't 
hearing Jeremiah's message, he knew that Jeremiah should be able to say, Thus saith the Lord to the people to decide for themselves if it really was the Lord that said it. How many of you know Ben Miller probably didn't make any friends with his action? Probably was hated by the other cabinet officers, particularly those who had put Jeremiah in the pit. But God saw what he had done. You remember the people, Jeremiah told the people, look, if you surrender and go over to the Babylonians, you'll be saved. And the other people said, oh no, stay here, the soldiers are going to protect you. Well, those people who told the people, don't go. One night, during the middle of the night, that group of people and the soldiers, they tried sneaking out the back wall, away from the city, which left all the people in the city unguarded, undefended, and the Babylonians came and did exactly what God told them he was going to do. God told Jeremiah, go tell Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, I know you are terrified of the Babylonians. Even though they are going to destroy this city, I'm going to watch over you, and you are going to come out of this thing with your life because you trusted in me. God takes notice of every stand that we take. Despite all that is going on around us in this world, and it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. The good news, though, is we know how the story ends. Jesus is going to be declared Lord. Every knee and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. The Apostle Paul ended his ministry locked in a jail cell for the cause of Christ. Can you accept that as your faith? I'm telling you now, if you stand up for Jesus, it's going to happen to some of us. But like the Apostle Paul, we're not looking for this world. We're looking for the world to come. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. My friend, Jesus stood up for you. Are you going to be willing to stand for him? You've got to keep your eye on the reality. This world is not our home. One day, we truly are going up yonder. Let's pray. God, you are a great and awesome God. And sometimes, Lord, we don't understand what you are doing in our society. But we know no matter how dark days get, how bright days get, you are still in control. We pray that we would remember in those moments when we find ourselves standing all alone. You died on a cross alone for us. 
Help us to be faithful to you in all that we say and in all that we do. God, if there's one here today that does not know how much you love them, how much you care for them, and what you desire to do in their lives, pray that you would speak to them that they know of your grace and of your comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.